Well, good morning, everybody. Again, good to see you, and I'm glad you're here. And I was glad our SunQuest kids got to come in and sing for us. They did a great job, as always. I want to tell you about next week and remind you, well, you probably don't know it, but you're going to have a treat next week. Brother AJ is going to be preaching, and Daniel Jarvis is going to lead our music. So don't miss next week. Debbie and I will be away, so we'll have great service there. I want to hear that. Be sure to get me a CD from that one. So... Uh, look forward to that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 9. We're going to look right at the uh, miracle of Jesus healing the blind man as we move through the book of John. I want to read verses 1 through 12. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, He is the one. Others were saying, No, but he looks like him. And the man kept saying, I'm the one. So they asked him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud Spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can read it clearly and understand it simply. Lord, touch our hearts. Show us the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think we always ask, what is this story about? What is it about? And you would say it's about Jesus showing us how to heal. It's about a blind man receiving his sight. But I want I want you to know that like all of our accounts in John, the story is about Jesus. It's not about miracle, though the miracle's great. It's not about how he did it, though that's interesting. It is about Christ. It is about what he did when he came into the world. And what he does today. I don't want you to miss that. You know we talk so much about healing. I thought I would take just a minute. Not not long. And talk to you about Jesus healing miracles. It's very important. Because a lot of people misunderstand the healing miracles of Jesus. A lot of people believe they can replicate those miracles. But Jesus performed miracles for one purpose. That was to Reveal the glory of God. Reveal the power of God. He was showing people how powerful God was. And there are some characteristics that about Jesus' miracles. Dr. John MacArthur has a great way of summarizing things. And he said this. He said, first of all, that Jesus always healed instantly. When Jesus, when Jesus healed someone, they got better. 
Uh, modern faith healers say it happens over time or it's, it's progress. But when Jesus touched somebody, when he did something, when he ordered or directed something, they got better. They were healed. Jesus healed completely. Um, he healed lepers. He healed paralytics. He healed blind people. He raised the dead. And when he said it, it happened. There wasn't, there wasn't a process involved. It's not, not gradual. He healed real and actual diseases. He, he took people that had real problems. Not, not problems like they didn't feel good or like hypertension or he, their back hurt. He, he healed people that couldn't see, that couldn't walk, that, that were mentally unstable. He healed the dead. So Jesus, he healed real things. He raised dead people. I've never seen a faith healer today raise someone dead. You know, I always thought if somebody wanted to prove they're an authentic healer, go to the funeral home. You'll be a hero. But Jesus is the only one that could raise somebody here on earth from the dead. But you know what he did is he demonstrates when he does that, he, he's not saying to us that the most important miracle is to raise someone from the dead. Lazarus walked out of the tomb after being there four days. It's an amazing miracle. I mean, that's stunning. But that's not the amazing thing. The amazing thing is that when Jesus did that, he taught us that he defeated death once and for all. Death was no problem for him. A man that had been in the grave four days, not an issue. He... He would, he had the power to defeat death. A, a lot of us really wonder about Jesus' miracles. I, as pastor, I, I deal, I deal a lot with this. I, you know, why, why doesn't, why doesn't he heal? What about our prayers? I mean, when we as a church come together or we as a family come together and we get on our knees and we earnestly pray for God to do something, why doesn't he do what we want him to do? And and so the Bible has taught me and I have learned with experience, both personal and experience as a pastor. And and I believe this with all my heart. It's not always God's desire to heal. You see, I think God views life a lot differently than we do. We view life as vital that we stay alive, that we stay healthy, that that we keep our family members with us. But God, you see, deals with eternity. He knows this life is like a vapor, as James says. It's It's gone. It's here, and in a moment it just blows away. It's gone. This life is temporary, the best. If you live 95 years, that's a blip in the sight of eternity. So God deals with eternity. I believe that often God says, because he loves us and cares for us and because he knows more and he sees in a different perspective, he takes our loved ones home or takes us home because he knows that's best for us. Because he knows that taking somebody home is better than a lifetime of being sick. Maybe he uses the illness for his glory and for his purposes and we continue to work for him until he takes us home. But when God calls us home, we go into his presence. So I think we as Christians have to always realize that God's 
idea of healing is not just getting you physically better. Healing may be taking you home to heaven. Taking me home to heaven. Taking my loved ones home to heaven. And that's hard. It's hard to say. It's hard to live. But I think that's how God works. But our story today is about healing, but it's most of all about who Jesus is. I I want you to understand that. When John said Jesus came into the world, he made some remarkable statements about him. He said these things. He said that Jesus would change everything in the world. He said that in him, that is in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. He said that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. So that the darkness of the world would in no way cover up the light from Jesus. It would not have a, have a. And then he said, the true light that gives light to everybody was coming into the world. So John portrayed Jesus' entry of the world as light. Jesus said that about himself. He said in chapter 8, he said, I'm the light of the world. And you and I might wonder, what exactly does that look like? And I want you to know that Jesus being the light of the world changes everything for you and me. Changes everything. Nothing is the same because Jesus came into the world. Nothing is the same in your life or in my life. Nothing is the same for the church. Everything is different. Now, He introduced that concept that I am the light of the world right after he had forgiven the woman caught in adultery. And we all say, well, you know, that brought light to that woman, light of forgiveness to that woman caught in adultery. And I got it. He sure did. And so for you and I, we can trade places with the woman caught in adultery and we can say that Christ brings light into our sin by forgiving us. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. But, you know, it it had another impact. Because all of those accusers were standing above Jesus, above this woman, ready to stone her. And Jesus said, okay, guys, the first one of you doesn't have any sin, throw the first rock. Have at it. And so his light brought into their hearts the light of their own sin. You know, when you shine light in darkness, things scatter. It changes everything. So Jesus changed it all. He changed it all there, and you'll see how it changes it here. Okay, let me let me look. I got four points. I want to get through them because I want to talk to you at the end. The man lived in darkness. That's that's number one. Uh, that's a bad situation. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. This, this guy was born blind. I was talking about Sunday school class today. Um, do you know when you're born blind in that day? That's that was it. Today, if you're born blind, uh, you you have good options. I, I mean, you can learn to read. You can. Learn, I saw the president of Guilford College today is deaf. Can you imagine being a college president and being deaf? She's never heard anything, and yet she has a PhD and she can teach and instruct. She's learned to master the language. She. She's done so many things. But in Jesus' day, when you were born blind, you had one thing you could do. When your family died and nobody could take care of you, you were going to be a beggar. Nobody, nobody would give you anything. 
You had no hope for the future. You would sit on some alley. They wouldn't let you on the front part of the street. You'd sit on the alley. And on the alley, you would beg for alms, which would be whatever somebody left you. Just scraps. Throw it out at you. Maybe a little food. Maybe a little money. That kept, literally kept you from starving to death. There was no medicine. There was no treatment. There was nobody that cared. There was no shelter. Nobody would marry them. Nobody would employ them. They were sentenced to a life of begging until they died. It was a terrible life. And so everybody in the town knew this man. He was born blind. He was there. They all knew he was there. Didn't have a chance. And, and, and so in this man's life, we would say he had darkness. He didn't know light at all. I, I want you to see what the Bible is showing us too is that in our world there's complete darkness. I mean there's, there's darkness that, that surrounds us. I mean it comes in crime, it comes in disobedience, it comes in sin, it, it comes, it comes in sorrow, it comes in grief. There's darkness. You, you just go out and look, you'll, you'll find darkness. I'm, I mean it just, it just about runs into you. There's darkness of people that feel hopeless, that people are angry and, and disenfranchised, that, that feel like they, they don't have any, anything they can do with their lives. They don't have any purpose for their life. You ask uh, people what they, what, what is your purpose? Why do you live? They say, I'm, I'm just trying to make it. I'm just trying to get to the next day. They live in darkness. So like the man, a lot of us live in darkness. Number two. The world's darkness gave Jesus then and Jesus now an opportunity to work. In this story, Jesus is walking with his disciples. I would love to have been there. I probably would have asked every bit the stupid questions that they asked sometimes. Because here they see a blind man and and what they said, the first thing they said to him, they probably had to walk by the guy. They probably had, I mean, he sat by the by a wall somewhere or out of the way. They probably went that way. Jesus would go. He would probably take the back ways to run into people like that. And so the Bible tells us in verse 2, his disciples said to him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Surely one of them had to sin to cause this. I mean, look at his life. Look at him. He's he's withered. He's worn. He has nothing. He has no body. He, He has no hope. Surely he's being punished for something. That's the question from his disciples. Ironically, the same 11 men who one day would lead the church. Isn't that great? So there's hope for us all. God can use us. When the Spirit gets a hold of us, we'll be different people. So why did this happen? I, I wrote this down this week. Like most of us, one of the one of the guys I was reading from said, the disciples assumed that the problem would be better if they could understand why it happened. Isn't that us? Don't we think if we could just know why, if we just knew why something happened, we would be better off. If we knew why my loved one was sick, if we knew why I had trouble in school, if we knew why we had problems in our marriage, it would make everything better. Surely it would. But the Bible, by the way, lesson in life, you don't always get an answer why. You may go a whole lifetime and not get an answer why. You, we always say, and I, and I say this, well, when we get to heaven, we'll know. But you know, I believe when we get to heaven, we won't care. It won't matter. We'll be so filled with glory and what God did for us that we could care less 
about all of these things on earth that seem so unimportant. That we have wrapped our whole life around. Why did this happen? The disciples were partially right. Their suffering was it because of sin. You know, in the book of Exodus, God promised the sins of Israel on the second and third generations of the people. In other words, he, he's not saying that the parents are causing the, the, the punishment of the children, but he's saying that their sin, that their disobedience has set in force a pattern that the second and third generation of their children will inherit. Kind of works. I don't, I don't think God punishes another generation for the sins of the parents. But certainly, the problem of sin that's in mankind. I mean, my parents were really good people. They were godly people. They were sinners. Uh, I learned uh, mostly good things from them, but I'm sure that I learned some other things from them. My children, uh, I would probably say the same thing. I can assure you they learned some imperfect things from me. We have passed that on, and that has borne fruit, good and bad, in their lives. The sin that Adam and Eve brought into the world wrecks havoc on all of us. So so sin is, is a cause of problems. It's a problem of sickness and death and war and pestilence, and all of that is caused by sin. But Jesus is not saying, he doesn't buy the argument that their sin, the sin of their parents, caused this man To be born blind. But Jesus gave this answer. He said neither this man nor his parents sinned. So neither one. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Dr. Bruce, F.F. Bruce says, Jesus is not saying God deliberately caused this child to be born blind so that after many years his glory would be displaced. It means that God overruled the disaster of childhood blindness so that he might recover his sight and see the glory of God in Christ. See how that works? You see, these things are going to happen in our life. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be death. There's going to be uh, disability. And, and the Bible teaches us that God works in those situations. He doesn't stop to enter. Sometimes he intervenes. But these are patterns of things that happen in our lives. They're because we're human. But Jesus said then, neither sinned came about so God's works might be displayed. He said, but we have to do the works of him who sent me while it's day. Jesus is saying to them, your thinking is backwards, guys. Instead of wondering why this man is sick, you need to be looking for what God's going to do. That's what we need to do. Instead of lamenting about why this has happened, seeking a reason that we probably won't know. If we knew, we probably wouldn't understand. And if we understood, we wouldn't agree with it. Because we don't see the world and see our life as God does. But Jesus says, focus on the work at hand. We have to do the work while it's still day. Now, Jesus said there's work he had to do. It was daytime. He was here. Daytime meaning he was here. He was present. He was in the world. He had work to do. We got to we got to stay to that. You and I have to remember that as a church that we have work to do. As as Christians, we have work to do. We have things to accomplish. God has put us here for a reason. Uh, we can be easily distracted. I'm I'm easily distracted sometimes. I can hear something and I can leave my whole train of thought. I think. 
the, the devil, uh, to distract my study, often just puts a lot of things in front of me, and I bite at half of them. It's just nature. We're easily distracted. Jesus said you got to keep your eye. you, you got to stay focused. His purpose wasn't to heal everybody that came about. His purpose was to do what God called him to do while it was still daytime. That's why he's here. That's, that's why he existed. And then he said night is coming when no one can work. He's not referring to the eclipse. But he's saying that one day Jesus would leave the world. He would, I know, that was kind of funny. I, I know you're all thinking about the eclipse. I don't have my glasses. <laughs> but Jesus said one day he's going to leave the world and it's going to be dark again. Now, you might say, well, boy, that leaves us in bad shape because he left the world. But when Jesus left the world, he stayed gone for a while. And when he came back, he brought the Holy Spirit into the world. And so now the light of Christ is here through the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible teaches us that you and I are the light of Christ. We are his light. We are his representatives. He says we're like a city on a hill. We're shining that people can see it. Everybody always says y'all are the church in the hill. I hope they say it's a church with a light up there that they see the light of Christ. That's what I pray they see. And not just to get things, but the church where... You can come here and hear the word, where you can come here and be loved, where you can come here and be forgiven regardless of who you are. You see, that's what the light of Christ does when it gets in the lives of people. It it spreads all around them. And Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. I I love this statement. As long as I'm here, I'm the light of the world. I I love that. it, It gives me so much comfort. Because, see, today Christ is here through the Holy Spirit. So he's He's in the world, the light of the world. You know, we're studying in the book of Revelation that one day Christ is going to come back. He's going to take his church out of the world. And when he takes his church out of the world, the, the Holy Spirit will be gone. Can you imagine a world without the Holy Spirit, without Christ, without the church? We'll just be left to our own. But today we have the light. Let, let me Let me tell you some things that that means. In, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, you ought to write that down and go look at it today sometime. I'm, I'm going to point out some things to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. When God comes into our life, he brings all light. You know, sometimes he disrupts things or changes things, but there's nothing but dark, nothing but darkness in us and nothing but light in Christ. And so when he comes into your life, he starts pushing the darkness out. He starts changing things. He starts upending things. We have fellowship with him and yet we walk and, and, and if we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we're lying and not practicing the truth. You see, there's evidence of us walking in the light in that we have fellowship with Christ. That's, fellowship means walk. It means a relationship. It means, it means that we are obedient. That's, that's a walk. It's, it's consistent. And he says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So, so you see what happens is the light of Christ draws us together. There's a lot of things that pull us apart. We're, we're naturally going to disagree and we're naturally going to have conflict. We're naturally going to have strife, but the light of Christ pulls us back together because we realize that Christ is greater than all of our conflict. So when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, he meant he's fundamentally changing the relationship that all of us have. Number three, Jesus brought sight and light to this man by simple obedience. I want you to listen to the story. 
how it happens. I want you to, to, be, to be very careful and very specific with it. Um, after he said these things, he spit on the ground and he made some mud from the saliva and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left and washed and came back. Uh, I've got a slide up here of the pool of Siloam. I don't know if you've seen it. This is recently in the last, oh, 30 years, they've excavated this in Jerusalem. That's the pool of Siloam. That's what it looked like. So here is this beggar along the street. Somewhere along some dusty trail, Jesus said, okay, come here, fella. He didn't even ask to be healed. He didn't, nobody came to him. Nobody's there. He spit on the ground, takes a little bit of the mud and rubs it in his eyes. And he says, go wash that out. And the guy gets up and he goes, washes it out. And he's healed. Now in in the book of Mark. Uh, it's different. If you read Mark chapter 7, for the blind man there, he spit in the man's eyes and touched his tongue and his ears, and the man was able to see and talk. So it's a little bit different. You say, well, Jim, what's the big deal about it? There's no really reason for it. The Bible doesn't tell us what the magic is. It doesn't tell us what the, the effect is, what happened. He was told to wash. He, he came back and he was able to see. You know what? I think it's all about obedience. This man had faith in Jesus. He must have believed him and trusted in him. But I'll tell you what, he had enough faith in him to let Jesus rub spittle-covered mud in his eyes. And then when he told him to go wash it out, he went and washed it out. Scholars tell us that's saving faith right there. That's, that's faith to be obedient. You know, it's one thing to say you believe in Jesus. I mean, I hear a lot of people say they believe in Jesus. But when you believe in Jesus and you start obeying him and doing what he says, then you're a disciple. That's exactly what he calls us to do. Somewhere we have to obey him. Over in 1 John, the apostle John tells us. He says in 1 John chapter 1 verses 3 and 4, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. You can say you know him. I can say it. I can proclaim it. But if we keep his commands, the one who says I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we're in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk as he walked. So our goal, church, if you're a follower of Christ, if you have the light of Christ in your life, it ought to make a difference in the way you live. It ought to make a difference in the relationships you have with other people. Your light ought to be evident to other people. You ought to be clearly distinguished from the people around you. Now, maybe not at first. Maybe it takes a long time. A lot of us are slow learners. But Christ will change our life. He'll he'll gradually work. And gradually change until we're like him. Obedience matters. Number four. The power of Christ is hard to understand. It sure is. It's hard to understand. All of his neighbors. You know, in verse eight, his neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar. That's all they'd ever known this man for as a beggar. They'd never seen him do anything. They'd never seen him. They'd never been able to see him see. They had never seen him be able to walk anywhere unassisted. I mean, if you don't, if you don't have any help, you're not going to go anywhere because you're going to run into something. There's nobody cares about you. 
He didn't have a C&I dog. He didn't have anybody that would watch after him. They could care less about people like that. So they had to sit and stay out of the way so they didn't run into somebody or to be hurt. And all of a sudden, this guy's out walking around. Isn't he the one that used to sit begging, the Bible says? Oh, somebody said he is the one. Others said no, but it looks like him. And the guy kept saying, I am he. Sure enough, it's me. I'm the guy that can never see, never go anywhere, never did anything. Now I'm walking around. I can see clearly. You know, I think some of the times the best message that you and I ever have is what Christ did for us. You know, a lot of, a lot of times people say, well, I, I'm not comfortable in sharing the gospel. Well, why don't you tell people what Jesus did for you? Why don't you tell him that he forgave you, that he gave you a new life, that, that he took away a bad habit? Maybe got you through a time of grief or loss or tragedy. Maybe how you learn truths about God that you've never learned before when you studied his word. How before him you used to do X, Y, Z and now you do A, B, C. You're an entirely different person. What a testimony that is. It's authentic. It's, it's right out of your life. It's, it's what, it's what is going on around you. It's very important. I know when we went to Vermont, the first couple of years we were in Vermont, there was a man there in Vermont. He had come, AJ, I don't know if you remember this fellow, the guy that used to be an alcoholic, and he came to Bible school one night. He was about 80 years old, plus 85 years old. Landon said, Jim, do you know this man? I said, no. So he went over and introduced me to him, shook hands with him. We walked away. We talked to him a little bit. We walked away. Landon said, he's, every time we have something, he's there. I said, wow, that's really great. He said, yeah, when we came here, this man was a town drunk. And he said, he never... He never did anything that he wasn't drinking. And he said, he started coming to Bible study because, you know, in Vermont, it's cold. And so he came to Bible study because they were having Bible study during the week and it was warm. And he came inside and he came to know Christ. And Christ changed his life. And you know, you know what people used to say? They'd come up to Landon and say, we don't know exactly what you guys are doing around here. But we know old Bob over there, he didn't used to do anything but drink. And now he comes to church all the time and he doesn't even take a drink. Y'all must be doing something. Sure enough. That's what Christ does in the life of a person. It's really important. You all, we all have a testimony to be willing to say. Be, be willing to say, I, I'm the one that Jesus did something for me. Look, guys, he did this or he did that. Tell the world. Okay. What does all this mean for us? Darkness is everywhere in our world. I, I, I don't need you to tell me this. I was reading, I was reading this thing on Fox News yesterday. Dr. Keith Abelow is one of their psychiatrists. Uh, he does a lot of stuff. He said this. It was very profound to me. He says, I have said before that there is no original evil left in the world. Everybody now is just recycling pain. Isn't that something? Isn't that a sad situation? That's the darkness. That we live in in our world is filled with darkness. But I want you to know that through Christ, the light of the world is here in the world. He has come. He came that we might have light. That's why he exists. And so this, this story tells us about how Christ comes into our life, that he comes into our life. And that we, by faith, can be obedient and can confess our sins. Now, the man didn't confess his sins, but he had saving faith that he went out and did exactly what Jesus told him to do. He followed him and listened to him. And he was made well. 
We think it's about his eyes, but it's really about his heart. Because he ran into the light of the world. You and I have that opportunity. If you're here today and you don't have Christ in your heart, you have the opportunity to say, I want him in my life. He, he will turn your life around and he will change it from, from the very start. We and our Sunday school, our, our Wednesday night Bible study are studying the book of Revelation. If, if you're not coming, I'll, I really invite you to come. Because, because we're seeing the glory that God has. And so we've been studying chapter 4 and 5 in Revelation. And chapter 4 and 5 in Revelation is all about worship in heaven. You know, everybody always says, well, what are you, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? We always think we're going we're gonna to do what we like to do here on earth. If we like to fish, we're going to fish a lot. If we like to read, we're going to read a lot. Well, the Bible doesn't say any of that, but the Bible shows that when we go to heaven and the scene in heaven, I want you to picture this with me, church. Here's the scene that John paints for us. He says that he transforms us to the throne room of heaven. And there, he says, are, is a throne. And he says it's so bright that you can't see it. And he says it's like crystal. It's so bright and light just radiates out of that throne. And he says there's one sits on the throne. And he says all around the throne, he has two different people. He has the four living creatures, John calls them. And the four living creatures are angels. Throngs of angels who carry out judgment on the earth. And he says around the throne are the four living, four living creatures. And they sound kind of hideous, but when you understand they're, they're angels who are there to worship God, to do his bidding. But don't go away. Cause then there's 24 elders around the throne. And you say, 24 old men, what's good about that? The 24 elders are us. All the believers. All the people that have died in Christ. When Christ comes back and raptures the church, all the believers on earth that he takes to heaven with him. And so around the throne, oh, 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 it's also said, he said, there is evident around the throne the fullness of God's spirit. All seven qualities of God's spirit, all the qualities of God, the wisdom, knowledge, the power, the love, the, the understanding, all of those things. I missed a couple, but that's, that's a lot. So that's all around the throne. So all those things are there. And it's like a big wave in heaven. You know, the wave, you know, you know, Jason, you know what that is when you have the wave and kind of goes through a football stadium. Here's the wave in heaven. Listen. Listen how it starts. Whenever, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, that's all of us, fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns, all those things you think you're working for, they just throw them at the throne and say nothing, nothing is worth more than what you are, God. That's light. That's knowing the light. That's understanding. We, we just have a glimmer of that today. And, and then, and then it starts again over in chapter five. It, it goes all again. And here's what they sang. The elders fell down before the lamb. The, the, the creatures, the, the living creatures all fall on their knees and they sang a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll, open the seals because you were slaughtered. You purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they'll reign forever and ever. That's what God does for us. That's when he brings light, that's what he does. 
Because when you come to him today and this world is imperfect and difficult and as hard as it is, you have the light of Christ that will carry you to eternity in your heart. And you, and you won't, you won't be able to worship with the wave. We don't, I didn't all say that and we all jump up and fall on our knees and we, we just don't fully get it. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. But if we just glimpse for a minute the light of Christ and how powerful that is, that's what he means for us. Church, I pray you have the light of Christ in your heart. He, he stands at the door and knocks. He wants you to have it. You just gotta come to him. Confess your sins and be obedient to him. He does all the work. The light of the world. God, thank you for being the light in our life. Thank you for changing us beyond what we can do. Lord, thank you for giving us a glimpse of you, glory, through your word. Let us be obedient. If there's one here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they'll know you. And, and God, draw us close to you. What you have done for us on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.